2: Welcome to Creative Principles, I'm your host, Brox Winson. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, and more, where we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and methods of a creative life. This episode is brought to you by freelancerclass.com. At Freelancer Class, you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money as a writer, marketer, graphic designer, virtual assistant or an accountant from the comfort of your own home make a little extra money or replace your income at freelancerclass.com while working in demolition brown sipe realized that once you tear everything apart you can see how it's put together after a few self-proclaimed failures Sipe got serious about writing and learned how to become a screenwriter at unc wilmington similarly in the film demolition Jake Gyllenhaal suffers loss and discovers who he is along the way. In this interview, Sipe talks about nonlinear storytelling through letters, the connective tissue of the film, and working with Big Little Lies director John Mark Vallee. You
1: know, screenwriting for me was a thing that, that was... Uh, I, I didn't know how to do anything else, you know. I couldn't do math. I wasn't good at science. And uh, when I went off to college... I found myself just taking classes that gravitated toward toward words, you know, uh, creative fiction, mm-hmm. um, literature kind of stuff. Um, and that was where I, I just really felt the most comfortable, you know. I, I was the kid in, in elementary school who would have a book report, and I wouldn't read the book, you know. I, and I would write reports based on the back cover and still get an A, <laughs> you know, so – Um, it was just really something that I I felt like was, it came easier to me than, than swinging a hammer and doing math. Right. Um, where did this idea come from for, for this film? Demolition. Um, well, I I did, I actually did demolition work, you know, when I was, uh, younger, I was probably 17 until 21 or so working, working for my father, um, tearing down houses and, um, at the time, I can remember, uh, well, a couple of things happened. First was I, I realized that once you tear everything apart, um, you can see how it's all put together. You know, you see the framework of the house. And I think that that was a, that was, a, um, an analogy that I just sort of, um, latched onto, you know, even though at the time I had no ambition of being a writer. Um, just something that I processed, um, especially because I didn't know how to build anything. And and, I, and that was an observation that I made once it was all torn apart. It was, uh, okay, I get it. That holds that up. And I couldn't build it, but I get it now. And the other thing was, um, you know, working in these dark, dingy, burned-out houses in the middle of summer in, you know, 95-degree heat wearing, you know, work overalls and and covered in, you know, with, with a mask on your face and sweating. It was a really depressing time in my life. Um, and where I felt really disconnected and alone. And I felt like there was something a lot bigger out there for me, but I was nowhere near it. And, and I, and I had no idea how to get near it. And I felt stuck in that place. And, and, um, it brought me to a, to, to a feeling that I'd never felt before in my, in my young life, you know, and it was probably a depression, you know, but I, I, I refer to it more as like this darkness. And, um, with that came this apathy and, um, and I was able to claw my way out of that and, and find my way to, to, to Los Angeles and, um, you know, start off on trying to do what we're doing here. And, and then you know, half a dozen years later, I found myself in this similar position where I wasn't working. I'm working in a bar. You know, I'm not working as a screenwriter, mm-hmm. and um, I'm failing. You know, I'm failing in my life. I'm failing in my relationships, and 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 it brought me back to that same feeling that I had when I was you know 20 years old, standing around in those in those burned-out houses, in that sense of apathy. But now the 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 dust and the debris that was around me was, you know, the the debris of this life that I was trying to create out here. And there was that apathy again, you know, and honestly, out of that came this voice. And that was the character, you know, the, the lead character in this movie, this guy that's that had lost someone in his life and um, started questioning what it was that he really cared about, what it was that he really loved and came to discover that at least he thought he didn't love anything, you know, and that was me. Um, For him, he lost his wife. For me, I lost myself. Um, So it was a voice that I followed, and it was a voice that became a character, and the the character, I followed him, you you know. uh, It it was the purest um, experience that I'd ever had um, up until that point in writing where, it it was I didn't really map it out as much as anything else I'd ever written before. I just I let him take me where he was going to take me, and then he introduced me to these other characters and and then all of a sudden there was this world and and they were in relationships and that's basically the
0: story of of how it all came together. well we're some of your I'm gonna keep it kind of broad in the beginning. I've got some very specific questions for you later on um Sure. What were Some of your like cinematic or liter- literary influences, either in this film or kind of getting into the business of filmmaking. Oh man, you know, I,
1: so many different things. Um, I was that kid who would who would uh, pretend to be sick so I could stay home from school and, and just watch movies, you know. And I, I think early on I probably fell in love with you know those early '80s Spielberg movies, and um, and then I would just watch anything that I could get my get my hands on and but, but you know for me the first movie that I really remember watching and thinking this is what I want to do um, this feels possible was *Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because it was maybe it just struck me at a certain point in my life where I was ready to to see that and hear that what they were saying but it was it was so simple seemingly so simple I mean now I realize how difficult something like that is to to write. But you know, on its face it was just about people. It was about friendship really. And um the way that they presented it and um the themes that they talked about and, and expressed in that movie um just really really grabbed me in a way uh that, that pushed me toward toward um making the leap and and, and actually you know, trying to be a writer. And, and then I'd say, you know, right around that same time, there was, um, American beauty and the stuff that Alan Ball was doing. Um, there was, you know, some scripts early on that I, that I loved, like Steve Conrad. I, I really loved the weatherman and, um, mm-hmm. um, what was the other one? Pursuit of happiness. um, Stuff like that was a was a big influence for me. Um again, you know, those are just movies about human relationships and mm-hmm. and um I think that that and they were also they also ha- all have humor and they all have heart, you know, and I think that that's the stuff that I enjoy the most and that's the stuff that I gravitate toward writing.
0: It definitely has that feel to it. I was thinking of the weatherman as well, where this unusual growth in the character, like this the weatherman was
1: actually that was the first thing I read. I remember, I think, you know that that script was really important to me because when I first moved out here, you get sent a bunch of scripts and you know people tell you that this is what sells and you know this is the way you need to be writing and it's it's all about writing for the town and writing for the market um, and that's certainly the way that I started out. You know, I was trying to write those movies, trying to write those movies that were going to make that big spec sale, um, back when, back when those big spec sales were, were being made. And then, and then I found myself in a place where I didn't know anymore. I, I was a little bit lost and, um, I had tried the comedy and I tried like, you know, the big action kids movie. And, um, and, and then I, I, I nothing was working, you know, and, and then that script got sent to me and I remember reading it and being like, Oh, it's okay. You know, it's almost like that by reading that, it gave me permission to write like that because also I remember people getting really excited about it and people talking about how great it was. And, and um, it was something that I really connected to.
0: So some of the scenes in the film, it it seems almost like they present a conclusion before the call, if that makes sense. Like we see him come to her door, in his suit, and he's all dirtied up, and then we kind of... It's not really huh. a flashback, though. And if some other... It's like when you right. buy the uh, Army surplus gear. Is that... Like, how did you come about that idea of doing it that way, or did, did that come about in editing, or how did that work?
1: Um, no, I think it was all there in the script. I think I was trying to find... You know, first, I, I feel like I have those moments, you know, and I have them somewhere on paper. And then... You know, trying to make them all work, um, the, the good thing was I had this tool, and that was the letters, you know, and that was sort of like um, the device that would guide me through each scene and and and, and was the connective tissue to a lot of those right. scenes. Right. So, So I could play around with stuff like that. I could play around with chronology, and I could back myself up into those moments depending on where I needed them. Um, where I needed them to happen in the story for you know the the most dramatic impact. So I mean, it did get a little bit tricky, and, and I can remember having to really map everything out like like a math equation at one point. You know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out the logistics of how that all was happening. Um, but yeah, it, it was mostly the tool that I used was was those letters and. Um because the script and the movie exist on this level that's slightly elevated above reality um it's it it works in that way, you know so what other
0: type of like at least
1: at least I hope it worked
0: <laughs> yeah um what other type of like specific rituals do you have specifically on this film? did you spend a lot of time outlining? did you know the ending did you Always see that jolt of a beginning. Um, how did you, How did that all come about? And then, what was your like timeline on writing it? Wow. Well,
1: I'll start with the the jolt of the beginning. Like I said, this was this was a voice. You know, I never sat down and said, I want to write a movie about what I used to do when I was twenty years old. You know, mm-hmm. which was which was swinging a sledgehammer. Um, right. That wasn't it. I never thought I was going to do that. I stumbled across a voice of a character who was giving me a cathartic outlet out of my own pain, <laughs> you know, and the only thing I could really think of that was analogous to, to the, what I was feeling was the loss of a human being, you know, so once he was in that car accident and I, and I, and I explain it like I'm a witness to it because that's, that's actually the way it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, once he was in that car accident, all I really wanted to do was follow those little moments that's what I was interested in i was interest- i wasn't interested so much in in you know the the grandiose moments of of a funeral or viewing or um you know those kind of things that we've seen over and over again. I wanted to see the guy walking down the hallway and going to the water fountain. you know I wanted to see him eating a bowl of cereal because you still, you're still hungry, you know, after tragedy, you, you still have to put one foot in front of the other, you know? And that was the idea. I think when I was following him down that hallway and it was, it was kind of fascinating for me because I didn't know what he was going to do. I just knew that there was this, there was something in him, this curiosity that was, uh, this fire had been lit, essentially, and I wanted to throw logs on that fire. Mm. And once I saw in my mind's eye the, that vending machine, that was the that the vending machine is the crux of the whole story, Right you know, because as soon as this candy gets stuck, which, again, isn't something that I had planned out, I just put the money mm. in the machine, you know. I watched it put the money in the machine, and then it got stuck, and I thought, what do you do now? And then from there, it was like, God, wouldn't it be really – interesting and irreverent if he goes and asks for his money back this guy who just lost his wife you know there's mm-hmm. something interesting i don't know how i feel about it exactly but i want to see how that goes down <laughs> and then the next thing you know you know he's got the the address of the of the vending company and as soon as that happens i knew that i had my relationship uh-huh. and and from there that was the biggest log on the fire for me And I knew that everything was going to open up, and that's how it happened. And once I met her, she introduced me to her kid, and then there were more complications, you know, there were more complexities and more relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, So as far as, like, mapping the story out, you know, all of that stuff is sort of evolving as I'm going. And then, yeah, and I'm putting it down on note cards. I'm putting it up against the wall. I've got, you know, eight notebooks full of this material. It's funny. I was just looking through it the other day, looking for the moment that I discovered the vending machine and I found it (laughs) Uh because I feel like that is such an important part of this whole story. But I've got so many notebooks, you know, and then, you know, and then once you get it all out, I feel like it's, it's sort of like writing a script to me is like building a house, you know, you starting with the foundation and, and all that, you know, manual labor and and um, pouring the concrete and then framing the house and the sh- and then down to you know uh, painting painting the trim finally and then you get done with it and someone tells you you built it on the wrong side of the street <laughs> you know right. what I mean so yeah. it's like so you got to start taking it apart and moving it piece by piece into other directions and again making that connective tissue work. Um, you know, then there's voices, people telling you, well, this character isn't as likable as he should be, stuff like that. I, I didn't have a lot of those voices early on. I, I really did um, develop this pretty much in, in my own head until, you know, finally exposing it to, you know, representation and stuff like that. But, I mean, altogether, though, it was probably – a year, year and a half before I was ready to show it to anybody. He
0: mm-hmm. does seem like more of yeah. a vessel as a character. You can kind of see yourself in him, at least the first half or so. Um, there's some other, yeah. like, you know, grander issues of just, you know, he seems so successful. He's got his routine and his money. And, and were, you, were those thoughts in your mind as well about just the, you know, average mundane life and that kind of thing? Or was it just really just a the I suppose character?
1: so. I suppose, I, I suppose, you mean, was I trying to make a statement about wealth
0: or or uh, materialism? Well, possibly, or maybe just like what success is, or, you know, your definition of success. Right?
1: Yeah, I guess. I, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm, there's nothing in here where I'm trying to make a statement about anything, you know, but I, I think that I wanted to give him a position that he could fall from, mm-hmm. you know, and... And you know the the higher the higher up he was, the, the further that he was going to fall. And I liked the idea of a very comfortable life. Right. And then looking back at it, looking looking down on it, thinking, what does that mean? You know, what does any of this mean if I don't love someone or love something? Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose within that there there's there's commentary about materialism and, uh, how much is enough, um, that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, maybe that's also a reflection of what I was feeling at the time, you know, um, searching for what, what it was that was going to make me happy or, or better yet, whatever it was that was going to pull me out of the darkness, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the guy, I mean, I was interested in this world and trust me, it's a world that I know nothing about the world that I come from is Karen's world. You know, I come from, um, you know, that New Jersey suburb on that street where, you know, every house, you know, every backyard is backed up to the other one and you got chain link fences and kids playing street hockey in the street. And, um, you know, you go to public school and, you know, you, you, you go uh, smoke cigarettes behind the Seven Eleven. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so his world on Wall Street was completely foreign to me. As a matter of fact, you know, when I first wrote it, uh, the, the stuff about him, the, all the all the terminology was way off. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I just wanted to get the vibe of it right. You know, I just thought right. like, okay, we can put him in this money place. I don't know exactly what he does, but it's money and it's and it's somewhere on wall street and and it's just privilege and it's nepotism and it's money it's money it's money and then once we got into production you know i sat down with some investment bankers who you know helped me go through all of that stuff and really helped me iron out um all the language and um you know help me build out his character in a more realistic way mm-hmm.
0: I've got some kind of specific questions. It may be more of editing, but I'm wondering either your perspective sure. of writing it or you know your take on after it was made. Um, it seems like all the music in the movie is like live. There's not like mu- movie music. There's like yeah, playing great. because they're listening to it. Yes, um, that is
1: that is that is Jean-Marc Ballet. Okay, um, and that is his thing. You know, I mean, he wants he wants he never wants to manipulate an audience, and I think that that is the best way to answer that question because I've had this conversation with him many times and it's something that I've learned from him and something that I appreciate from him, um, that he's taught me is, is, um, you know, the way that the way that he's making movies, at least right now, um, is in this very realistic, naturalistic, almost documentary sort of fashion Mm -hmm. where, um, he's following the character, um, every, by the way, you, you know, I don't know if you know the way that he shoots, but, um, and I, by the way, I was lucky enough to be on set every day. He invited me, and, and awesome. it was a collaborative process. Within you know any any stuff that was changing, we were talking about, and and I was working. You know, so it was great. I was being creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but his process is everything is handheld. Okay. There's not one. There's not one light on the set. <laughs> wow. There everything's handheld. No lights. No marks no storyboards, no shot lists. So it's just, and one camera, you know, and it's his DP operating or it's himself operating on his shoulder. So he approaches these scenes really in a way, I mean, he's got an idea. He knows what he wants it to be. He doesn't know how to get there yet. So every time he goes in, he's finding it. He -hmm. sees the space. He puts the actors in the space. They go out and, they run through the scenes and they find those moments and they find the language and the character. And then all of a sudden the scene comes together and he calls cut and everybody turns around and goes, how did he do that? And his use of music is the same way, I think, because, and I, he does have a good idea in pre-production about the music he makes, playlist. I mean, this is a musical. I mean, he is, he basically is a musician, you know what I mean, who doesn't play an instrument. He he thinks in music. So he's got his own soundtracks that he's putting together and he knows is, that that is his connective tissue. So he goes into those moments knowing what is going to be carrying us into these scenes, knowing where he needs that live music. And, and, and once it's live, once it's playing on somebody's radio or a car stereo or Then he can carry it into the next moment. You see how it works? Right. So he he gives himself um, that license, but it has to come from somewhere. The only thing that was really written into the script was the song Crazy on You. Um, And that was sort of a happy accident. You know, Crazy on You was the song that was in the jukebox as I was flipping through it in my mind's eye. It was the first for some reason, you know. Like I grew up in bars with jukeboxes, you know, and mm-hmm. they all had Heart in there, <laughs> and Springsteen, and Van Halen, and 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 that was the song that I saw, and and I just wrote it down, Crazy on You, and and it became sort of a theme in the movie, and it was a theme that he certainly latched onto and really drove home, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it became fun because, you know, there's a moment afterwards where, <laughs> I mean, they're discussing they're discussing crazy on you. Do you think that's a sad song? Why, would, why is that a sad song? And then <laughs> right. and then you see this, you know, high-powered um, Wall Street businessman in in a, in a meeting with 10 other people, you know, with, with talking about billions of dollars um, ostensibly. And then they turn to him and he says, "Do, do any of you think the crazy on you is a sad song?" <laughs> right. You know, it just felt like it was right up the alley of this character and what I was enjoying about
0: following him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got one other kind of editing thing. I, I assume they shot this backwards where Hall Hall's walking towards us in the crowd and everybody's moving backwards. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, along with the whole theme of like running the kids running. How did you kind of come up with those ideas?
1: Well, the the thing him going backwards, that's all Jean-Marc Mm-hmm. Um, the kids running was in the original scripts. Um, and that was just the purest thing that I could think of when, you know, because that comes out of a conversation that he's having with her. Well, I'll take a step back and say that I, I feel like his character regresses in this movie and becomes childlike mm-hmm. because it's sort of like this guy that is having this awakening and, and, and in this awakening, part of the scary thing is he's realizing that he doesn't care about anything, that he's numb. And within that, if you don't care about anything, there's no consequences. And I suppose that that is the most childlike thing that you could experience is, is living this life without consequence. So he starts doing these things, not caring who's watching or who's listening. And then you get these moments like when he's, in her house and they build a couch for it. Right. You know, and you have these very intimate moments and conversations where, you know, maybe she's playing the therapist all of a sudden and saying, well, let's try and fix you here. You know? Mm-hmm. Let's let's work on you. What? Let, let's let's try and go back and and tell me when was the last time that you can remember when you really cared about something. Right. And and I think in that moment you know, when when you're writing a moment like that, you're thinking as a writer, what is what is what's the thing that 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 I remember that was the most important thing? You know, when you're a kid, again, when there's no consequence, when there's no real concept of money, there's no real concept of of love, there's no concept of debt. You know, and for, for me, for me, it was something along the lines of running fast. You know. You wanted to be good at something. You wanted to be good at a sport. You know, you wanted to be the best at something, and that felt cinematic, and it felt pure. And I think within that moment, I knew that there's also a payoff there, um, and and it's a fun payoff because when you have a, a man running against a bunch of ten ten-year-olds on a boardwalk of course he's going to win, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's more, it's more of what, he, what that represents the, the journey that he's been on than it does. The, the fact that uh, he, he's winning a race against, you know, kids that are, <laughs> that are nine to 10 years old. <clears throat> does that uh, you
0: said, the question. Yes. <laughs> you, you said you were kind of doing some rewrites on set. Um, when did Jack Jillenhall come onto this project? And then, did you kind of start adapting the character once he came on board?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't remember there being too much specific to Jake once, once he came on board. I mean, he certainly, you know, had things to say about the character, but they were never, they were never things that were like, you have to make it this, or this is better, or I'm not saying that. It was never like that. It was more, you know... a a relationship that he had with Jean-Marc, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, my relationship with Jake was through Jean-Marc. Like that was the channel. You know, I was the guy behind the scenes. Like we would talk about stuff and work on things, but, you know, in an effort not to get any wires crossed, um, I I let him communicate everything. I didn't let him. I mean, that was just the process. He was communicating everything with Jake. And 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 then we would go off and discuss um, what it was that was going to make the script better. Essentially, you know. So um, it, it wasn't so much that when he came on things started changing. I mean, once once we really got greenlit and we had the money, all of a sudden John Mark and I went to work, right? You know, and he basically almost in in a parallel to the movie, Demolition, you know, he pulled the script apart and then we'd put it back together, together, you know? Right. Um, you know, he would, he, he he did things like untied, you know, these little little tidy payoffs that I had littered throughout the script. I mean, there's so many of them. And, uh, you know, I took great care in, in making all these little things, you know, run the pipes through the script and making them pay off. And then mm-hmm. he came along and went, Nope, this is not life. You know, <laughs> life is messier than this. This is too neat. This is too tidy. Let's let's mess this thing up. So so that was one of the things that we did. And again, I'm I'm so grateful to him for doing that. And then the other thing was was really making I mean, as far as like what he brought to the script was making Chris, the kid, the character, the musical elements in the movie. Um he wanted because again he does think in music and if you look back at some of his other french language movies they're so rich with music um he wanted Chris to be the uh, the conduit um music to be the conduit between Chris and Davis so that started to evolve a bit and we started talking about him playing an instrument and him you know starting to dress like a little uh Mick Jagger and And um, then sharing music. And then we started talking about, like, maybe Jake should dance in one of these scenes, you know. And then that idea started going. And then, you know, this is totally Jean-Marc's world. So he was loving this. And, you know, literally, I think once that concept got floated, I went back and put in the script. I found the place for it. And I wrote, Davis gets off the train, Davis dances. And that was it. He was like, I got the rest.
0: I get, you know what I mean. So all, right. all
1: that whole sequence, that is, there, none of that is really written. It's just, it just says Davis dances.
0: I kind of asked you that to get to a, kind of a nerdy question. Um, I was wondering if you guys ever Please. talked about. Um, I couldn't help but think. I, I didn't think. I watched the movie twice. The second time I saw it, I thought about that scene in Donnie's Barco when he's talking about the Graham Green story or Graham Green story. About the kids destroying a house because of destruction is creation. I was just curious if that ever came up on set or anything like that. Or if that was more oh, of his story.
1: That's a that's a good question. You know, I don't. Uh, I I probably haven't seen Donnie Darko since it was released. Yeah. Um. So I'm not even I'm not even sure w- what that is. But uh, no, it's not something that he ever brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of funny. Yeah, it was just kind of interesting. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah. Was that was that a a big movie for you?
0: Yeah, I'm like like, um, 28, so I was probably like, you know, we saw movies like that, and then we started watching Tarantino and you know all that kind of stuff at the same time. Probably so. Yeah. Right. Um, And and you're from the south, yeah? Yeah, I'm from North Carolina.
1: North Carolina. What, What
0: part? Um, I live in Winston now. I'm from around Greensboro, like all on the triad. I went to school in Wilmington, so I've been kind of all over. Oh, so did I. Wilmington? Yeah, I went to UNCW. Oh, wow. When did you graduate? Oh, man. I'm
1: probably – I mean, you're 28. I'm 38, so you the math. I was actually back down there um, last year for the first time in since I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to to make this movie that I wrote that was a Nicholas Sparks <laughs> adaptation, so I yeah, went
0: the, the down there. I saw the the choice came out right. Is that, is that all set in Yeah, the last year? yeah,
1: yeah. That's we shot the whole thing in Wilmington.
0: Oh, very cool, very cool. Yeah, that, uh, kind of so it was weird. How did that uh, that
1: uh, getting that job? That yeah. was uh, that was just sort of like. Um, my my agent represents him, so they had these uh, they had a few of his um, books that were just sort of sitting around, and they came and said, "Hey, do you want to write one of these? If you know it would be on spec, um, but you know, or deferred pay rather, and you know, if uh, if you do it right, then we make the movie and everybody gets paid." And, you and, know I mean. try, and at the time, you know, I, demolition hadn't gotten made, so I was like, "I need to get a movie made, man." Right. You know, this isn't really my wheelhouse, but I'll I'll take a crack at it. So I did and they made the movie.
0: Yeah, I mean they're making one of those movies like every year what's it like writing your own story versus like an adaptation, like how much oh. time and that kind of thing. Well
1: I think I, I think that, you know, on the feature side anyway, because I've done both, I've done spec pilots and stuff and they're they're a bit easier, but you know, something like demolition I find infinitely harder than an adaptation because there's so many choices. There's so many different roads that you can go down every single word, every direction you go, every time you turn the page, you're, you have to make a choice. You know, you have to make a decision about where this character is going, what he's going to say, what he's not going to say, where he's not going to go. And the, 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 it's infinite. It's limitless. Um, and it's all on your shoulders. You know what I mean? You can do anything that you want and all that freedom is a little bit scary. So sometimes, I mean, at least, you know, from my own experience, I I would freeze up, you know, I'd be like, man, I I don't know if I can make these choices because, because I don't know where this is going to lead me. And, you know, what I found was that sometimes you had to make these really difficult choices and go down those roads, even if they were led to nowhere so that you can hit that dead end and turn around and go back. But maybe you pick up something along the way that you can use, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, doing an adaptation with a book, you know, uh, like one of his books is it's like, there is a foundation. There is, you know, source material that you can always come back to. Um, Even though I tend to change a lot of stuff around the um, it's almost like you have a little bit of help making some of those decisions. You know, you, the main the main plot is there the the um the main themes of the story are there so um
0: i guess that's the difference okay i've got a couple more i don't want to take up too much of your time sure. okay what you find to be the most uh, difficult step in the writing process for this film
1: the most difficult steps mm-hmm. hmm. you know i mean obviously there's the actual labor of writing but I think the most difficult thing for me was 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 once all was said and done with the scripts and trying to get the movie made you know um it was it was ten years in the making you know I mean this thing like I wrote it and it it was on the blacklist, and you know people talk about it and they pat you on the back and tell you good job, you wrote a great script and um and then all of a sudden you're still standing around holding the script going, but doesn't anybody want to make this, you know, where's right. the money for this? You know, where, right. who's going to be my champion? Who's going to be my hero here? And it took a long time before someone, you know, stepped up. And that was, that was uh, the producers and that was John Mark. And um, it was a long road, man. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't you know, feel like bailing out along the way because, um, you know, you lose faith and you lose confidence and you run out of money and you're not working and, and uh, there were times when I was ready to
0: throw it throw it all away uh-huh. um let's see is there anything you've you've kind of learned or or any advice you'd like to give to upcoming riders?
1: I think it probably lives in what we were just talking about of you know don't be afraid to go down those roads if you don't know where they're going uh, you know and, and that just means that just means right. You know, I mean, there's so many, so many days when I stare at my computer or I did stare at my computer and, and I was too afraid to, to make the wrong choices or to write the wrong words. And, um, I, I think you can't be precious. I think you have to be willing to fail. Um, and, um, that's how you learn. That's how you get better. Writing is a muscle. And the more you do it, the stronger you're going to get, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to evolve.
2: Thank you so much for tuning into the show before you leave don't forget to sign up for the newsletter to get your free download of the ebook how hollywood screenwriters annihilate writer's block which includes advice from writers such as aaron sorkin william monahan and carrie fukunaga the newsletter will also keep you up to date on future episodes new articles and more sign up at brockswinson.com B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N dot